0: Welcome into a brand new Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your co host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co host, Connor Hope. Uh, This is a little bit of a different Busting Brackets podcast episode. Um, As you may or may not have seen, both me and Connor have announced that we are leaving Busting Brackets uh, to join Heat Check. Uh, so this will be our last podcast it's been a blast the last two years doing these um but we do have uh, some guests on that'll be the future of the Busting Brackets podcast uh, and Arden Carvalho and Ben andriata but Connor uh, it's good to be back with you I know it's been a while since we last talked uh, some hoops on here uh good to see you
1: yeah uh definitely good to be back on one final time uh it's it's a little bit bittersweet. Uh, I know you you probably feel the same. We we tried and we built this, and the we were the first co hosts of the Busting Brackets podcast when Tristan came to us and asked us if, if it would be something that we would be interested in doing. Um, we've developed quite a quite a solid small small but solid following for the for the Busting Brackets podcast, um, but it's going to be in good hands, I'm sure, with Arden Arden and Ben and uh, I'm excited to see what they what new things they do to improve and, and continue to grow the Busting Brackets podcast. And um, they'll be the, the de facto hosts for the rest of this, uh, this podcast. So I, I'm just going to turn it over to you, Arden, Ben, if, if you want to take over, tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, what your plans are moving forward with the Busting Brackets podcast.
0: And then let's talk hoops.
2: Yeah, let's get back to those hoops talks. Nobody wants to hear from me and Ben. Ben. (laughs) But, yeah, thanks for the introduction, guys. You guys are going to be deeply missed uh, with the Busting Brackets community. Also, thanks to to Tristan for setting this up. And, uh, yeah, me and Ben are just hoping to continue the success of this podcast, have some fun with it, and get the listeners involved, you know, get their uh, thoughts on what we should be Uh, implementing into the show and just have fun. That's, that's what college basketball is all about.
3: Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I appreciate Tristan for, you know, reaching out to us and, you know, you guys are leaving some, some big shoes to be filled here, but uh, Art and I are excited to take on the challenge and, and hopefully build on what you guys have worked towards. And, you know, we're, we're looking forward to continuing to talk hoops and, you no, know, hopefully we'll stay in contact with you guys, maybe and get
2: you guys back on here once in a while.
0: Oh yeah, we're not we're not dying. We're, <laughs> we're still here.
2: Yeah, we'd love to have you guys on as as much as you'd like.
3: Yeah, so um, you know, kind of what we're looking to do for the future. Um we're gonna try and do a, a bi weekly kind of thing here. Uh starting on June eighth we're gonna, you know, try and get the podcast out to everybody on on Monday mornings, and uh, you know, it's the off season. It's kind of dry right now. So, uh, you know, once we get closer to the start of the season, the season previews and all that kind of stuff, we'll, you know, try and get into every every week kind of stuff.
2: Yep, exactly.
3: I don't, know, I, got it. I don't have anything else. You got anything? I'm ready to talk hoops.
2: I think I think we're ready to start talking some hoops, really. I mean that was that was quite the introduction from both of us, but uh let's get into it. How about some Mac McClung? How about that? Let's start with uh Brian, his thoughts on Mac McClone committing to Texas Tech.
0: Yeah, the, the interesting thing with that now will be seeing if he gets the waiver to yeah. be immediately eligible or not, because he's somebody who will bring some scoring to, to Texas Tech. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in with Chris Beard just from a personality standpoint. That, I think, is going to be interesting to watch. Um, But this Texas Tech team lost. David Moretti lost, in all likelihood, Jameis Ramsey. Um, They need some backcourt help, and McClung's going to, if he's immediately eligible, do that. Uh, The interesting thing, I think, along with the relationship with Chris Beard is going to be how texas tech utilizes him because one of the big reasons why McClung left georgetown or one of the rumored big reasons why he left georgetown is that when he was getting feedback from ba teams they wanted to see him play more point guard more with the ball in his hand because as a as a shorter guard that's going to be what he would the role he would most likely assume in the NBA at the professional level. Um, Texas Tech, obviously, with Murray leaving, there's a bit of an opening there. Uh, the plan was originally for Kyler Edwards to kind of slide more over into that role because he's more uh, of a natural ball handler himself. Um, so that dy- dynamic will be interesting to see, but you'd rather have more talent than not, and Texas Tech certainly got that in the McClung.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You mentioned that he's going to, if he gets that waiver, he'll need some backcourt help. There's one player in my mind coming out of Prolific Prep, uh, a school that's actually very close to me and Connor in Northern California, in Napa, Namari Burnett. And I feel like if McClung does get that waiver, that's going to be a dangerous backcourt with the uh, McClung and Burnett. Have we noticed that Chris Beard is really, well, along with other coaches, many other coaches in college basketball, but especially Chris Beard now, he has taken over the transfer market. He has... Literally, most of his roster is filled with a bunch of transfers: Mac McClung, Marcus Santana Santano Silva from VCU, Jamarius Burnett, Burton from Wichita State. So he's starting to go through the transfer market, and it's become part of the college basketball uh, new wave.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially on that that Final Four national championship run, um, it was it was fueled almost. Entirely by by transfers or um, underrated prospects, yeah. uh, and you know I, I think when you're a coach like Chris Beard, um, we're seeing Eric Musselman continue to do that uh, at Arkansas. When you when you have a program that has to compete in a conference with the likes of Kansas and Texas, uh, who get the top recruits, um, and you're not. You're not, I mean, Beard has has been able to get some pretty solid recruits over the last uh, two to three years. But when you're competing against, for the same recruits, against the likes of Kansas and Texas, you're going to have to dip into a a new way of finding your talent. Um, We've seen it work at Gonzaga. Uh, We saw Muscleman do it at um, Nevada. But those are two conferences where. You're getting the top recruits. You're probably getting the top talent in the conference. What Beard has been able to do with the the grad with transfers, with grad transfers, bringing them in and doing well in the Big Twelve, I think that speaks to him his ability to see talent at the lower levels and his ability to coach a solid defense, which which also helps him and helps the team turn that into solid offense. I, I think. Um, It'll be interesting to see how he can compete with the likes of Baylor and Kansas this year, Um, whether or not McClung is eligible. But I think we're seeing a new wave of coaches at non-premier Power Five high major schools kind of taking that route of dipping into the transfer market as opposed to uh, relying exclusively on freshman recruits.
0: It's a quicker way of... Rebuilding your roster too, because a lot of these coaches, when they take over some of these schools, the non-traditional powers, as Connor mentioned, the overall roster depth of talent isn't there. And Beard went that round had a lot of success earlier than expected with that, which is largely due to the to the transfer rule. But the flip side of that too, when you bring those guys in, they're not there as long. And so then, if you want to replenish them at a high level, you got to kind of have more guys come in until you have those three four or five years to build your own infrastructure from a recruiting standpoint so I, I think we're seeing coaches use it as a way to make their programs maybe more competitively quicker than just going the recruiting route.
3: yeah you know you talked about major coaches kind of taking that uh finding that new strategy to you know how do i make my program relevant you know it's hard for uh teams to pluck out those big recruits and someone that came to mind for me was Ron Hunter at Tulane. He's really starting to dip into the transfer portal and kind of like Chris Beard's building his program and Musselman. I think I saw something with uh, Chris Beard, John Rustin tweeted earlier today that three of their five top scorers last uh, year did not start at Texas Tech. So, you know, really finding that niche and standing out, especially for a big program like Texas Tech, um, you know, is a really a good way for them to stay relevant year in and year out.
2: Yeah, I saw that tweet. It was three of the five of Texas Tech's top scorers from the 2019 team that reached the national title game did not start off in at Texas Tech. So okay, so, yeah. yeah.
1: And, I mean, I think that is kind of in line with Chris Beard's trajectory and, and how he got to Texas Tech. I mean, he didn't start out uh, as a big-time Head coach, or as a you know, he worked his way through non D one schools. Uh, he had been the associate head coach at Texas Tech previously, um, but he he left. He he spent some time at Little Rock, and then became the head coach at Texas Tech, made his return, and I think just that trajectory kind of probably made him more aware of the talent that you can find outside of the major power the power conferences. So. Um, Good on him. He's been successful everywhere he goes. I'm not going to question his methods, um, and and I and I think that you know he he's part of a trend that we're seeing, um, and that's been talked about talked to death, uh, especially among mid major uh, coverage about how power conference teams are now going after those top top mid major uh, transfers. They're going after transfers from other uh high major teams and that is for them a quicker way of producing a winning team than uh relying solely on the on the freshmen that they may or may not get
2: so the consensus thought is that mac mcclung will be successful at texas tech so let's now move on to talking about mac mcclung's former coach patrick ewinger um who is finally, or actually has recovered from the coronavirus, a scary situation for him. And I would just want to ask you guys your thoughts on that and the coronavirus situation and how it implements in the college basketball. And also, just your favorite memory of Patrick Ewing, because I got one that comes to mind, and I'm really excited to share it with you.
0: Well, let's hear it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So the one memory, I, hope, I don't know if you guys remember, it was back in 2018, back in the Big East play against the DePaul Blue Demons, Patrick uh, called a timeout. He was really mad about one uh, situation, called out one of his players, said, who do you think you are? His tongue was lashing out, out at the player and for trying to be a little too fancy in the game. And then he also says, step back, one-legged? What kind of shot is this? You think you're Kobe? That's my favorite memory from Patrick at Georgetown as a coach.
0: Yeah, I... He had them on a really good trajectory. I was really high on them coming into last year um, before sort of off-court matters kind of took hold. I still think he'll be successful at Georgetown. Um, I hope they give him enough time to sort of hit the reset button because some things have gone on that are out of his control that have set the program back a, a bit, I think, a year or two. Obviously, no one knows when college basketball is going to sort of get back to normal with all season programs and different things with COVID. Um, but it seems like he'll be once ever that happens. Now that he's through this, he'll be able to to partake in that and hopefully uh, get Georgetown jump started and, and back on that rebuilding path. Because college basketball is better when Georgetown's good.
2: It really does suck for him because especially he loses Mac McClung and he also loses one of his best – or his best big men in Omar Yurt 7 who declared for the NBA draft. So it's going to be hard for him, I think, next season to restart whenever that's, whenever the season may start. Uh, I wish the best for him because I'm like you. I was always a big fan of him and I wished uh, that he brought Georgetown back to the good old glory days.
3: Yeah,
1: for me, I mean, I'm I'm – a Knicks fan. Um, my, uh, sorry, my, well, it, it's, it's okay. Um, my, my greatest memory of him was him leading the Knicks to the finals on one leg. Um, and it wasn't able to play in the finals. Uh, but he, uh, he kind of carried them through conference finals, had to remove himself from the conference finals. Cause he just, it was an Achilles injury. He, he just wasn't able to go on it, but, uh, I mean that was a a solid year and it's marred a little bit because of the lockout. But um, I mean, as a Knicks fan, that was the one who was born in '94. That was the the one season of hope that we've really had in a you know since I've been alive. So
2: he's definitely one of those players that you're always you always wish that he got that ring and he came close, but he never could get it.
1: Yeah. I mean, he did win an NCAA championship, though. And for the purposes of this podcast, that's really all that matters, right? I think
2: that's that's <laughs> really all that matters. I'm sure he still wanted that NBA to lift that NBA Finals trophy, especially during the Jordan era. That would have been a little sweet, but yes, you're right. Winning a national championship at the collegiate level is quite the accomplishment. Let's move on to uh, Elijah Weaver out of USC, transferring over to Dayton. How do you guys think he'll fit there, and will he be able to keep Dayton on the national radar after losing Obi Toppin to the NBA, possibly a top three pick?
3: Yeah, you know, you, you look at Dayton this upcoming season, and and they're really, you know, good in the backcourt, not so great in the frontcourt. Uh, Elijah Weaver's likely a sit-out, sit-one, play-two kind of guy. Uh, I think he's really going to help bridge that gap, especially since guys like, you know, E.B. Watson and, and Crutcher and Chapman are all going to be seniors. Um, you know, Anthony Grant's still got two more scholarships over there at Dayton, I know. Um, they'll be looking for some some forward help, you know, losing Mike Sell's tough, obviously losing Obi Toppin. I mean, he's he's irreplaceable at this point for for next season. But, you know, Dayton's going to continue to be relevant, at least in the A-10. I have a hard time seeing them drop, you know, outside of the top three for next season I think Elijah Weaver really you know bridges that gap for you know a senior heavy team into the next uh couple seasons.
0: Yeah, Toppin made Dayton special last yeah. year but they were really good team around him as well I think we're going to see that play itself out next year with that senior group that Ben mentioned but Weaver I agree Weaver is sort of the headliner for that
1: Unless he What's gets a waiver,
0: next? yeah, he he's sort of the headliner for that next group. Uh, once this this core group graduates,
1: yeah, and and people I've talked to close to the USC program, I mean, he was he was set to be a top two or three option. Um, but I think just that that waiting, and, and he looked like he was going to be a top two or three option last year. Started fourteen games. Um, improved his defense a little bit. But his his offense really struggled, especially in Pac-12 play. Um, I think you put him on Dayton, where he could possibly possibly be playing with Crutcher um, and and be a a long wing that can shoot threes, but can also attack the rim. Uh, you know, I I don't know if he's going to be this outstanding player who challenges for an A-10 Player of the Year or anything like that. But he'll certainly be someone that can score double digits. Um, give you some solid minutes on defense and, and be a kind of catch-and-shoot uh, scoring option that you you want to have around someone who many would consider to be one of the best mid major point guards. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the move was definitely a good one for him. Uh, he doesn't have to be, again, probably second or third fiddle behind the Mobleys uh, at USC, um i'm i'm not certain that Andy Enfield is is a coach that can get the best out of players like Weaver so uh i think that going to Dayton um it should definitely pan out for him i i think that we'll see him kind of improve his game uh with a year off and then coming back as as one of those kind of catch and shoot wings i remember when
2: we did the Pac12 uh podcast and you were Not a fan of Andy Enfield, Connor, at all. So he moves on to a good coach in Anthony Grant. That'll be a good situation for him at Dayton. And I like how you mentioned uh, um, Player of the Year. Uh, He's probably not a Player of the Year candidate, but the Atlantic 10 is going to be tough next year, and they'll have a lot of star powers, a lot of players that have the potential to be the Player of the Year in that conference. One team that has multiple um, Player of the Year candidates is Richmond. Richmond's three early entrants to the 2020 NBA draft, Blake Francis, Grant Golden, and Jacob Gilliard, they've all now officially withdrawn, and they're coming back to play for the Spiders. Spiders are going to be leading the way, I think, in the Atlantic 10, and they're going to be nationally recognized as one of the top teams in the nation. What are your guys' thoughts on that in the Atlantic 10? Uh, Do you think Richmond will be there at the top uh, by the end of the season, or is there another team that comes into mind?
3: Yeah, you know, Richmond's obviously got a really talented roster, and and you look at the other teams with with Travis Ford and what he's doing at St. Louis. You know, they took took Dayton down to the wire uh, in St. Louis, and, you know, maybe should have got away with that one. Uh-huh. They're returning a lot of big pieces. Uh, you know, Dayton obviously loses Toppen, but they're still going to be, I think, right up there with them.
1: Yeah, I, I think that Richmond is going to be one of those teams that's going to be a popular um, possible top twenty-five team out of the A10. I I don't necessarily trust them as a top twenty-five team. But I think that they could have some shades of like a, a BYU from last year. Like one of those teams that um, puts in the work, finds themselves in the top 25, has a really solid core. Um, but I just don't know if they, they could necessarily compete with some of these other high major teams. Uh, but again, this is a team with a very high floor. Uh, they're returning a lot of talent. And if they can get some of their, their newcomers to, uh, to, to step in right away um, and, and they can get some development out of those three that returned, I, I think that they're definitely the favorite to win the A-10 um, and win uh, you know, a game or two in the NCAA tournament.
0: With that trio and the way the whole team performed last year that they have coming back, you have to put Richmond as the favorites in the A-10, a borderline top 25 team. But that was VCU going into this past season. I was super high on VCU going into the year. Um, I thought they looked like they were going to be the best mid-major team in the country, not just in the A-10. Because they brought everybody back from the NCAA tournament team, yada, yada, yada. Um, And it just didn't happen. They weren't able to deal with expectations. um, Couldn't find consistent offense. And Richmond is now facing those kind of expectations. This group, at least, is doing so for the first time and, you know, Dayton was waiting in the wings to take over, a couple other teams were waiting in the wings, Rhode Island uh, to come back up towards the top of the conference and there are a number of those teams this year as well that want to prove they're better than Richmond, particularly Dayton who is the defending champs are going to just relinquish that throne even though Obi Toppin's not there St. Louis, as Ben mentioned uh, I I think is in a really good position as well with their experience uh, and strength, um, particularly on the defensive end, so yeah, Richmond has to be there, and you should be excited about Richmond's potential. But there's certainly not a, a sure thing, slam dunk with, especially with how good some of the other teams in the A10 are going to be.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask the question. Uh, you know, Richmond runs the risk of being, you know, last year's Davidson or last year's VCU, where you know they were expected to be in that one, two, three spot, and they just they just weren't the team everyone thought they were going to be.
1: Yeah, I think there's too much talent there for them to be last year's Davidson, but but I definitely agree. Like If they fall flat, they run the risk of being that VCU kind of team.
2: Yeah, if sure. I didn't pick one team to compete the most against uh, a team like Richmond, the Atlantic 10, I think I'm going to have to go with Rhode Island. I saw a lot, uh, a lot that I like from them towards the end of the season last year, and they still have Tyrese Martin, Fats Russell, so I think they're going to be a solid team to compete against Richmond.
3: Tyrese Martin, uh, I believe, is transferred to Connecticut. Oh, I you know what, he you're
2: correct on that. So, but still, as long as they got Fats Russell on that team, I think they'll still be competitive. Uh, they do also lose Jacob Top- Toppin, uh, Obi Toppin's brother, who I believe transferred to Kentucky. I right? might be wrong. Kentucky. Where that?
1: Kentucky. Kentucky. Oh, Kentucky.
2: That's right. Okay, so
0: Kentucky. That yeah.
3: one was a little eyebrow-raising, wasn't it? <laughs> yep.
0: But, hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's another
2: yeah. Maryland player that hit the transfer portal, and uh, I know Ben wants to talk about that. Ben, who, who is that player that came uh, and is transferring from Maryland?
3: Oh, yeah, Maryland. They've got some uh, – had quite the off season, haven't they? Uh, you know, Sorel Smith, uh, the first one – or not the first one, the most recent one to uh, hit the transfer portal. I think, you know, he's, he's actually – I think he could benefit with the change of scenery, you know. Um, they, they lost four this offseason The Transfer Portal. I think they had, what, three graduate? And then, what, Jalen Smith went to the draft, right?
0: Uh-huh.
3: Yep. So, you know, it's it's been a real shakeup over there at Maryland. Um, you know, uh, I've seen that they've been in contact with, with Justin Smith also. But, it, I mean, if you're a Maryland Terps fan, you've got to be – you know, a little, I don't know, jumpy at, at what's going to be the future for the program.
0: Do Especially in the Big, Big Ten. Yeah, it... you see
2: them as the NCAA tournament team next year? I know there's still a lot to uh, implement and figure out for uh, until the season starts, but as of right now, do you see them making the uh, 64 or the 68 uh, teams? You
3: know, they were the, the Big Ten regular season champs, you know, this past year and mm-hmm. – you're hardly going to recognize that roster next year. Yeah, uh, The Big Tens, you know, continues to get better. Teams that, that have been camping out at the bottom for the last, you know, five or ten years are starting to become, you know, contenders. Iowa's, you know, a, a lot of people think they're a top five, top ten preseason team. Yeah. Um, you think about Ohio State's probably going to be a top, you know, 25. Michigan State, Michigan, I think it's going to be a long road for the Terps to get to the tournament next year.
1: Yeah, I mean it, after after uh, Daryl Morcel two weeks ago is was, was like no I'm staying <laughs> he might be the only one. So um no I, I think they've got a solid core in, in Morcel, um Wiggins, but uh you know, I just I just don't see them as a tournament team. Um and, and, and it goes exactly the way you've said, Ben. I just I just don't think they win enough games in the big ten to make it yep. the tournament yep. um, they might be I know I saw a joke the other day they might be the first team to voluntarily play a five-man rotation but <laughs> yeah that was that was my tweet thank you that was that was yours Brian <laughs> um, I knew there was a reason I followed you no uh, no I mean it's not quite as bad as oh, it was a Cleveland State last year so I mean they'll find a way to play they'll find a way to win some games but they're going to be down there at the bottom of the Big Ten, and uh, I don't necessarily think the Big Ten is going to be the ten to twelve bid conference that it could have been this past this past year. So,
0: no. And the core returning, we I should mention, is a solid core. Uh, they're the support pieces from the group last year: uh, Wiggins, Ayala, Morcell, um, guys that contributed in a big way and and kind of in secondary roles behind Cowan and stick Smith they'll be out stepping into bigger roles and showed last year they can at times the problem is they're they're literally not going to have bodies behind them and that's going to be an issue for them at some point
3: yeah, yeah that, that big 10 schedule is a grinds uh, you know we've seen deeper rotations be more successful and you know that six to seven man rotation that you're not going to be able to get away with it in the conference like the big 10 no,
1: I, I, and I'd make the argument that it might be Turgeon's toughest test in the Big Ten with the roster he has, um, because I mean he's made he's missed the tournament I think what once since joining the Big Ten, yeah, um, if at all. But uh, I just I just don't see them making it. No. Let's stay in the Big Ten. There's another uh,
2: transfer, and actually, grad transfer out of Indiana, Justin Smith. And he's told ESPN that he's heard from a lot of schools. Here's just a few to give you a couple of them. Illinois, Georgetown, Iowa State, Maryland, Arkansas, Oregon, Boston College, Arizona State. The list goes on and on. But what are your thoughts about Justin Smith grad transferring out of Indiana? How does that implement uh, Indiana's future in the 2020 and 21 season? And where do you think Justin Smith would be a best fit in your guys' minds?
3: Yeah, you know, Justin Smith's a guy that's started over 70 games at IU. Uh, He's been a key player, you know, in the transition with Archie Miller. and uh, Indiana's got a lot of good talent coming in this year. You know, they just got a a reclassifying out of a a five-star recently. But, uh, you know, as for Justin Smith, uh, he's talked with a, a number of Big Ten schools and you know, I think he's going to make an immediate impact wherever he goes. He's, he's a really athletic guy. Yeah, averaged ten and five last year. He's going to be a good two-way player wherever he ends up.
0: Yeah, we we just talked about Maryland needing bodies, yeah. uh, and you know he doesn't have to sit. There's no restriction for Big Ten schools transferring yeah. in conference. So, yeah. Um, I I honestly see that as a as a fairly decent fit for him just from a playing time. I would standpoint.
1: agree too, definitely. Yeah, I mean it, it's going to be interesting. Um, and you mentioned the number of teams that have contacted him, rightfully so. Uh, I would say he's he's up there. He's probably first or second best available transfer on the market right now. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these teams that are looking for that one extra piece uh, are going to be contacting him, um, and which which gives him the ability, I think which is a positive for him gives him the ability to choose the team where he's going to get the most playing time, um, because he'll, he'll be contacted probably as as a starter as a sixth man you know depending on the teams that are contacting him but uh, I definitely think that he uh, there's something there's something not quite right about that Indiana program right now and I, I can't quite put my finger on it but uh, it, it, it either seems like they're underperforming or, or players are leaving or yeah, you know, I, I just—it's—it's it's weird that Smith made the decision this late in the process, I guess, and um, kind of came out of the blue. So, I feel like Thank that Mark.
3: weird feeling with with IU has been there for uh, quite a while now. Uh, you yep. know, you got to think: or, <laughs> Are they, is Archie Miller going to be able to to turn it around with this with this coming group? Uh, you know, I have to think the, the boosters and the fans are, you know, we're entering year four. And if Indiana's, you know, not a tournament team this year or next year, like Archie Miller is going to find himself on the hot seat, don't you think?
2: You took the words right out of my mouth, Ben. I was about to say this is a make-or-break season right now for Indiana and Archie Miller. If he doesn't make the tournament, I think he kind of – he might be pushed out of IU, and they're going to be looking for a new uh, head coach the uh, following season. Let's stay also in the Big Ten. This news happened a while ago, and some actually good news for once for uh, Juwan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines. They landed Wake Forest transfer Chandry Brown. Especially after all the all the players that have left Michigan during that one week span, it was pretty bad luck for him. Uh, finally, some good luck for Juwan Howard. What are you guys' thoughts on the Brown joining the Michigan Wolverines?
0: Brown's a solid player and and he'll be a good support piece for Michigan. Um, but there's a reason why he, he wasn't a star at Wake Forest, right? He's a good player, a very yeah. solid player, Yeah. Uh, but he's not somebody that I don't think Michigan fans should look at as somebody who's coming in to, you know, save the program and going to lead them next year. He's somebody who can score double digit points, play solid defense, um, pretty good rebounder you know he can kind of do a little bit of everything but he's not going to overwhelm you uh, Juwan Howard has shown last year he got a lot out of players with similar skill sets which I think bodes well for both Brown and Michigan so I think I think it's a good choice a good, a good fit but I wouldn't put I'd be careful of putting too high the expectations on what you should expect from him at least from a statistical standpoint
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think I agree um, with that kind of thought. And, you know, another transfer recently that the mission got in was uh, no- Nozel Eastern. Nozel mm-hmm. uh, from Purdue. And I think he's another guy, uh, you know, similar to Shawnee Brown. It's going to come in and he's going to be, you know, a solid Obviously, he's a great defender, but he's going to be a solid, you know, role player for them. And, and sometimes that's, that's, that's what you need in a, in a program like Michigan. You know, we talked about Maryland not having enough depth. And that depth that, that Michigan's adding, you know, will we'll pay dividends down the line.
1: Yeah, it, and it appears to me, I mean, what they're doing is, you know, trying to add defensive pieces. Which, I don't know if, if with the, the pieces they lost, that's enough. But if you remember last year in the Big Ten michigan's defense was was not good um and so adding a guy like Nodell eastern who is there to play defense um and and shanji brown who is a an adequate or above average defender um i think those are the reasons why they they went after them uh There, there may have been a little bit of a a retribution on Nojel Eastern's part. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but uh,
3: looking forward to that uh, return. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting, (laughs) an
1: interesting matchup for sure. But um, yeah, I just I don't know if they had enough offensively in those two pieces to make up for what they lost, and and that's you know you want to see Michigan do well, um, but I just I just don't know if it's there
2: especially losing Xavier Simpson and John Teske. That's a tough blow to anybody, anybody's team when you lose that leadership on the court. Simpson was unbelievable out there, a true leader for the Michigan Wolverines, but this is still a team that you want to keep your eye on. Uh, They still got some, quite a few few talented players, as we mentioned Eastern and Brown. And also you got to mention Isaiah livers and Franz Wagner. Uh, So there's some good talent around there. Let's see if uh, Juwan Howard can bring it all together. Uh, and make a successful run in Big Ten play. I'm really excited to see
3: that uh, what kind of jump Wagner makes in his sophomore season. I think he's got the uh, you know the ability to to be one of those big Ten stars that we've been talking about.
2: Yeah exactly. yeah, I hope he does make that uh, jump uh, from his uh, freshman campaign to his sophomore season in a good way. Uh, ben, there was some other news that you wanted to talk about that was actually breaking today. Was Houston forward F- Fabian White Jr. suffered a torn ACL? Don't you? I mean, somebody turning their ACL in the offseason in just a regular workout in an open gym kind of type deal—that's one of the worst things to happen to a player because you're. It's just. It's just rough to deal with, and I feel bad for White Jr. Does this impact? Houston in a major way because he was a good, a uh, huge part of this team, uh, uh, averaging nine point three points per games and five point eight boards uh, this past season. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's
3: that's a huge loss for them, especially with you know Nate Hinton declaring for the draft well, a couple of days ago, right? So you lose White and you lose Hinton. All of a sudden, the uh, the front court for Houston's not looking too deep anymore. You know, you've got. Uh, Gresham, and then Gresham. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's the only guy with uh, minutes that's going to be, you know, returning. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to look to the young guys. Uh, they're going to be playing you know, an awful lot of small ball lineup with Dejan Giroux. Uh, you know, Caleb Mills really yeah. stepped up towards the end of the year. You know, I really think he's going to be a star. Um, you know, Marcus Sacer. Sa- 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 Sacer. Yeah, that kid can shoot the that kid can shoot the ball. He's a lights out shooter. You, you got to mention Quentin Grimes, of course. Yep, of course. But I mean, it's going to be really hard to play against teams that have big size with four guards on the floor. Like that's just, I mean, that's going to be a struggle for, uh, you know, Houston. And you know, now that um, you know Fabian White out with a torn ACL, you know, you have to think they're going to try and look to the transfer portal potentially yeah. for some help you know a guy like maybe uh justin smith or uh just had a recent uh transfer from st john's that might yeah. be you yeah. know raising some eyebrows you want to talk about him a little bit too
2: yeah i actually got the list of uh, schools that have reached out to him and it doesn't look like houston has uh, is on this list but the top ones memphis texas tech Man, if he landed in Texas Tech, they would have a loaded roster. Arkansas, Dayton, Ohio State, uh, Oregon, Georgia Tech, UCLA, and Auburn. Arguably the top transfer uh, left in the market after coming off a stellar season with 14.5 points per game and 4.5 and rebounds. And looking down that list, I would want him to go to either a Texas Tech or a Dayton. I think that would be a good fit for him and have make that team a lot more talented make both those teams more talented than they already are
0: figueroa is an interesting case because he's not a grad transfer but there at least other teams around the country believe that there's a a decent chance he gets a waiver because of new york city being such a a covid hot spot um obviously St. John's being located there and him leaving to to avoid that health reasons. A lot of schools, uh, there are rumors that a lot of these schools were in his ear telling them that telling him that they could get him eligible immediately because of that, um, which may have played a role in his decision to leave, but wherever he ends up and there are some good options, I would not be surprised if Houston reached out to him now, um, now that they got this injury to deal with. um, I think, They'll suddenly become a more, much more open to the idea than maybe they were yesterday. Um, but he's somebody who's going to be able to provide wherever he ends up uh, with an immediate scoring punch. Maybe not a star, uh, but a second or third score, And if he's your third scorer, you are in a, in a great place as a program. Yeah,
3: I think something that you might overlook to his defense, man. That, kid, that kid's a great two-way guard. Uh, if you even want to call him a guard, I mean, he's at six-six. He, he can play, you know, both sides, uh, you know, led the big East in steals. He's going to be, you know, a great addition wherever he ends up.
2: Yeah, LJ's early in the transfer process. I wouldn't be surprised if Houston were to reach out to him. And that would help Kelvin Sampson a lot and not have to play the, the small ball game. Uh, and help their depth uh, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, you listed out schools. I believe you said UCLA was on that list. Yeah, um, right. That's, yeah. that's an, interesting, an interesting pick to me, only because I feel like the reason why he was so good last year was because they kind of pressed on defense a little bit at St. John's. They, they tried to speed the game up um, and, and get quick points on the other end. And uh, that is not... The style of play that mick cronin prefers to play so um yeah i mean i and and ucla as a roster has some great length already so i mean if if he's looking to get a waiver and and to to play immediately next year i i just i don't see that as a great fit but a program like houston um texas tech there are programs that that might prefer to have a guy like that who can who can get the steals who can play solid defense i i think um i think are good fits
2: speaking of length and uh transfers from nick cronin uh johnny juzang i think that's how you pronounce it juzang right from kentucky uh he's got quite a bit of length for his height six six and he is immediately eligible next season for the bruins i think that's a a great pickup for Mick Cronin and UCLA. I mean, obviously they had that hot run and very disappointing to see it end because of COVID and uh, didn't get to see if it could continue into the Pac-12 play, but they got some momentum going and now they got that transfer in there. Uh, UCLA will be a team to uh, definitely keep an eye on in the Pac-12. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. I mean, I have them in the top, top three right now in the Pac-12 uh, you could, you could argue that any one of those teams, Arizona State, Stanford, Oregon, UCLA, should be the favorite. Um, the one thing to come out of this that I don't think is quite something I'm going to jump on board right away with is there have been a lot of people saying, well, if Juzang got got a waiver, which he did, um, yeah. everyone should get a waiver. Yes yeah. and no. I think this, the situation surrounding Juzang was pretty cut and dry. Uh Coach Calipari doesn't seem like the type of coach that would make a big stink about players transferring, considering he's probably, well, not necessarily this year, but most years is is likely begging some players to transfer um, and and likely gave him kind of that all clear um, <clears throat> to transfer. He's also moving home. so and, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. He's from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and so he's moving within... What, the 50 mile radius or whatever it is of, of his, of his home. So, uh, I, I, don't think that this is a sign of things to come. Like some people have made it out to be on social media. I, I kind of was expecting that he would get a waiver, um, just because of all of that, of all, everything I just said, uh, yeah. obviously is going to be a good piece for a really talented U, UCLA roster. Um, and we'll see how good UCLA is last year, I know uh, this year. I know last year they kind of picked it up in the second half of the season, uh, made a run at that regular season title in the Pac-12. Um, and so I think that they're, they're going to, to be a solid team that should spend a ton of time in the top 25. They might not spend every week in the top 25, but uh, I, I think that they'll spend more weeks in the top 25 than they spend out of it this year.
2: You mentioned the transfers, uh, and there was some breaking news today, um, and I want to kind of end on this last note. Uh, This was uh, sources told to Stadium. uh, One-time transfer waivers are dead until at least the 2021-2022 academic year as NCAA Division I Council approved a resolution to develop legislation regarding transfer eligibility for January 2021. That would not be effective until not next season the season after what are your guys overall thoughts on that do you think they are pushing it back they shouldn't be pushing it back and they should just implement it right away it seems like they kind of are giving waivers uh, left and right now uh but what are your thoughts about that
3: i think one thing is you know fans of, of college basketball and, and you see these guys getting these waivers left and right is we just want some consistency in that yeah uh, i mean we uh, we've seen some really head-scratching cases where guys, you know, you don't think are going to get waivers, do end up getting waivers, and you think those clear-cut and dry, you know, moving back home kind of things, you know, they don't end up getting waivers. And I think, you know, uh, obviously, guys that were were transferring this off-season might have been you know, really hoping that legislation was going to get passed, but um, you know, moving it back to to 2021 I think it's I think it's a good thing in the end um you know people are going to make the arguments that you know mid-major programs are going to start to die off and I I don't think that's going to be the case you know there's a lot of talent you see a lot of uh these big time players that that'll go and then they'll end up transferring after you're down to those mid-major programs So I think mid-major programs are going to be all right, right. and I think that's one of the biggest arguments I see against it is, is, you know, big schools like Kentucky, Texas Tech, plucking up those those mid-major stars.
2: I think that's the biggest issue for me that you mentioned is uh, consistency. I just want consistency from the NCAA, and with this uh, uh, one-time waiver uh, rule being implemented, I think it'll start uh, bringing more consistent behavior from the NCAA but who knows they're unpredictable at so many times
0: yeah it, it lays out the guidelines and I'm I'm in in favor of it there's yeah. we, we can go into the, the the debate between whether players should be required to sit out a year or not because coaches don't and XYZ blah 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 I personally think a player should be able to transfer one time if you know what was sold to them during the recruitment wasn't actually what happened um, if there was some falling out in a in a school matter, if a coach leaves, kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, having that sort of mulligan, I think, is good for players to have. I don't think it's going to make things worse because I don't know how much worse they can get from a transfer standpoint. We're already seeing a significant amount of roster turnover for most programs every year,
3: and I think we're quickly approaching a thousand players in the transfer portal. Like how many? <laughs> yeah. It's right. Just... If, it, if
0: it gets worse, we're going to start seeing like entire teams shift, and that's, that's yeah. simply not going to be the case because there's only so much playing time to go around and guys are going to be locked into that in certain roles. Uh, it, it, it's not going to make things worse. Um, if anything, it's going to make, I think, make college basketball better because we're going to be able to see these transfers play sooner. Uh, me and Connor talked about it in one of our uh, earlier off-season podcasts that transfers played a huge role in college basketball this past year. We had Malachi Flynn leading San Diego state towards a, a near perfect season. Yeah. If he was eligible a year sooner, you think San Diego state would have liked that?
2: Very yeah. much so.
0: Very much so. <laughs> I think it's something that schools will benefit from and the players will mostly benefit from. And that's always a good thing. Do you yeah. think that chain...
1: oh, And ahead. I think pushing it off was the right decision as well. Because you you need you need to go into an off season with a, l- a l- clear level of expectations, mm-hmm. and if they had passed it for this you know upcoming season, um, some of the players that might have decided to transfer, uh, who didn't because they would have to sit out, um, adding another year to their ability to enter the draft really. Um, would be entering the transfer portal at way too late in the process. Um, I, I think that defining it now for the following season is the right way to go. Um, just, just from a, a fairness and, and, expectations perspective. I agree. I, I think it should be allowed at least a first time transfer. Um uh-huh you know you you see too many people who are promised a ton of playing time too many guys and and then they get recruited over or they just don't develop the way that they need to to fit into the roster makeup and you see guys like malachi flynn who um if he had the season he had this year last year right you know his prospects in the nba go up exponentially um, and so I think that that, that is, that is another thing, you know, if you transfer after one year or, or two years, and then you have to take a year off, you, you almost are guaranteed to only spend, if you're looking at entering the NBA draft, only spend a year at the new program, where if you don't have to take it a day off or a year off, you, you might spend two, um, age is everything in the NBA draft. That is, that is one of the, uh, unique things about the NBA draft compared to most other professional sports is that age plays almost as big a factor as what you did in college. So um, I I just, I think it's about time that they said at least, at least one waiver situation uh, straight, (laughs) as opposed to having this kind of spinning of the wheel and hoping that you land on green. Um, So I I think that it, it would clear up a lot of questions And and I don't see any anybody really being ardently against it.
3: Except John Rothstein.
1: Well, John Rothstein's just against transferring in general and uh
0: lives in his own world. (laughs) Transfers will be the death of the world. (laughs) Rothstein's eyes.
1: That's a
2: great point about Malcott Flynn, too, also getting that extra year because I think, as of right now, he's only projected as a second-rounder. Think if he had that extra year with San Diego State and all their success, he easily would have been a first-round uh, pick in the NBA draft, in
1: my mind. Yeah, or just being a year younger yeah, at, that at the NBA, time of the NBA draft um, because, cause, yeah, just your prime comes so much sooner in the nba that they want that extra year as a as a as an organization um of you in your prime and and i think that it it can hurt a lot of people who are borderline nba draft picks that are just not in the right situation college-wise um so
2: well guys we had a lot of fun doing your uh, your final show with you guys and uh why don't you guys give your final goodbye uh, maybe shed a few tears and then uh, give a close one final closing for the Busting Brackets podcast.
1: I'll go first. Um, it's been a ride. It's it's been a great two years. I uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, I know that Busting Brackets will continue to be successful. This podcast will continue to be successful. Um, as Brian mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast, you know uh, we're moving on to a situation that we feel is the right move for us. Um, And, but we're certainly going to miss doing this podcast and certainly going to miss all the people that we've been able to have, you know, good discussions with. Um, I think it's only appropriate, Brian, that we have one more uh, bold prediction. And Uh, my bold prediction is I think that UConn, is going to be one of those teams that seems to be a mainstay in the top twenty-five this year. I really Ooh. like UConn's roster. I like Hurley as a coach. And, That's not and, a
3: bold take at all.
1: And I think that they'll <laughs> they'll spend many weeks in the top twenty-five this year.
0: Ben Connor's bold predictions are never really that bold.
3: That's uh, not bold at all. They're just borderline. They're borderline top twenty-five right now. <laughs> You gotta give me something. You gotta go out on something more bold than that. Come on. Fine, I'll
1: go out more bold on that. I, I, I think. <laughs> uh, give me a second, Brian. You, you go first. I'll put you on the spot. <laughs>
0: okay, I'm. I'm trying to rack my brain for a couple. Um, so I think Georgia Tech is a top twenty team in the country, and I think we'll find them there for most of the season. I also think. Austin P wins at least one game the NCAA tournament. Ooh, there we go. Austin P. That... Austin <laughs> P. is my is my mid major sleeper this year that could make some serious noise in the regular season uh, and and in March as well. But um, I'm all aboard the Austin P train. Are you looking for that to be a uh, 13-3 upset. It, it, would it, they may end up being good enough to get a 12. Um, Ooh. But we'll see. <laughs> All right.
1: How right. about this one? I, I think the Pac-12 gets seven or eight. Ooh, there in the NCAA we go. That's, that's what I was going to say. For my I think this will be the best season, at least bid-wise, the Pac-12 has ever had. Yes.
2: Yes, most definitely.
1: They won't have any top four seeds, but they'll have seven or eight teams there. <laughs> we, gotta go catch, uh, we gotta
2: go catch the Stanford game at Maples Pavilion with all the old folk. <laughs> I, all right. Stanford is filled with 60, 60 year olds and that's it. And the mar and the band.
0: Yeah, fans are allowed back in arenas. We don't know when, when that's gonna happen or if they're I, more I than half more than half capacity or whatever.
1: We'll we'll see what happens. I, um, I do agree with Arden though. Cal Cal game day, both basketball and football, is a much better experience than Stanford. Easily, easily, a lot more fun.
0: Good to know. Good to know. Those are the the parting shots you only find on the Busting Brackets podcast. Well, thank you guys for for hanging out with us. Really appreciate it. Um, Connor said it's been, it's been a lot of fun, and we're going to miss it. Uh, Arden and Ben. um listeners these guys have the podcast in good hands so make sure you keep listening um appreciate it and um Arden and Ben I guess we'll talk to you guys next time see you guys yeah thanks a lot guys
2: thanks guys stay safe we are done and-